Hey, y'all. Welcome to another podcast. Uh, I hope you're having a great week. I hope you're excited for what we're going to dive into. Uh, Today, we're going to look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to really focus in on verses 1 to 5 just to point out some things. But we're going to look at the meaning behind the reference of a true vine made by Jesus in this section of Scripture. This reference was of great significance and something I'm excited to explore with you in this podcast. So I hope you're ready. I hope you have your cup of coffee or, you know, you're enjoying your walk, whatever you're doing while you're listening to this. But yeah, let's dive in. All right, to start things off, let's look at the remote context of John. So the remote context is just stuff that's happening throughout the wider gospel. And I'm just going to point out a couple of things. And it's always important for us to remember whenever we dive into the gospel, John, that there there's a lot of literary connections in the text that connects Jesus to the Old Testament covenant. And we can see this with, you know, in the verse we're looking at today, that this is the seventh and last time Jesus uses an I am pronouncement. And these are really important because this is the same I am that spoke from a burning bush in the story of Exodus with Moses. This I am is like a a phrase throughout the Bible. When you see, you know, L-O-R-D in all caps in your Bible, that's really I am. That's Yahweh. That's I am. That's that I amness. So it's a big thing John keeps connecting to. And John is kind of like mirroring a similar pattern throughout his gospel to the story of Exodus, which I think is really important for us to understand. And I don't really, you know, that's really important for us to look at because it helps some things come to life, especially with the, you know, seven signs that we have that Jesus does throughout his gospel. And just kind of how that mirrors some stuff that happens in the story of Exodus. and And then especially with, you know, the last one surpassing and fulfilling all the everything else before the last sign that Jesus does in the gospel of John. And in this passage, uh, it's important to remember the true vine was symbolism used historically to describe Israel. So all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout Israel, the true vine was describing uh, them as a nation, them as a people. And John's letter, too, it's important when we're looking at the context to remember that these letters were written, right, a long time ago. They weren't written for me. It ended up that way after, you know, God's worked and after, you know, divine and all that, and we've sat and we've contemplated. But originally, John, when he authored it, had an audience in mind. And according to some scholars, uh, it's believed that this was written to, you know, Jews and Gentiles who were God-fearers and had some idea of the story of Israel. So they weren't completely oblivious to this God that Israel proclaimed. And it's important to know some of the remote context going on. And now that we have like a very vague idea, I want to encourage you to go read, you know, more commentaries and more stuff about it because there's so much more to it. That's just a really snippet of some of the remote context that we can find in the Gospel of John. And, you know, there's not enough time to touch on everything. 
But now that we've touched on a little bit, I want to look at some proximate context, which is basically what's happening right before and after this passage. And that's important because it lets us know, you know, is this passage taken out of a story? Like, is this someone giving a speech and we're looking at just one part of it? Or is this a new thought? And those kind of things are important. It's important to know what's happening around the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. And the section of Scripture this is found in the Gospel of John is called the Farewell Discourse. And this is basically Jesus' last moments with his disciples before the cross, his last little bit of teaching. This text is the start of a new thought too. So when we get to John uh, 5, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 12, it's pretty clear this is the start of a new idea, of a new thought. It's not something, you know, a continuation. And we know that because in John 14, 31, Jesus says this, uh, Come now, let us leave. Pretty clearly indicating to us something new is happening. They've left one spot and go, gone to another. This is a new thought. And then we also know that this kind of ends, you know, the passage that we're reading kind of ends at verse after we read verse 17 because in John 15, 18, it kind of makes it clear it's a new thought because we read, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So it's kind of, you know, showing us how Jesus is moving on to a different topic. He's moving on to a different train of thought. And it also shows a writing style that's unique to uh, the Gospel John, where there is this constant battle between light and darkness. And this... The whole battle that, you know, John's picturing throughout his gospel aims to prove that Jesus is the true divine. Greek philosophical thinkers were searching for a true divine or logos. And, you know, that's a big reason why in the beginning of the gospel, we hear about the logos, the word, the word was God, the word was with God, logos. You have that word coming in. And this is a theme that John's kind of painting throughout his gospel. And now that we know some of the context around John a little bit more, and I still want to encourage you to make sure you, you know, if you want, go read commentaries, go read more because there's so much to it. This is just, you know, a real snippet and, you know, my understanding that could be wrong. But this is, uh, yeah, it's important for us to look at some of the context because there's lots of context. When it comes to these gospels and these stories, and knowing them helps them uh, come alive a bit to us. But now that we got an idea of some of it, I want to read uh, the scripture for you. So I'm going to read John 15 uh, verses 1 to 17. So I'm reading from the ESV version, just so you know. But yeah, you read from whichever one you want. Or if you don't, sorry, just John there. That's not professional of me at all, is it? But but if you don't, you know, if you want to read from a different version, feel free. But yeah, I just want to read it. So this is what we read. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, 
unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his own his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. I just I love it. an interesting thing about that passage too is you kind of have the vine symbolism and then right below it, you know, in verse what nine, it kind of goes from the symbolism about a vine to Jesus kind of unpacks it about keeping his commandment and remaining in his love and abiding in that love of Christ and what it looks like. And it's really interesting that in John 15, verse 1, Jesus introduces an imagery of the true vine as an explanation of his identity and relationship to the Father. Because Israel, having begun as God's chosen vine, had had has been degenerated. Now you look at Jeremiah 2, verse 21, you kind of see this happening. Like Israel, you know, as a true vine, that's degenerated. And now Jesus is declaring that he replaces the true vine. That he replaces Israel. That he is the true vine. That you got to abide in him. And this is also the last of the I am sayings that we find in John. And the only one that continues with an additional assertion about the father's role. And then in verse 2, Jesus refers to the role of the disciples as branches. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 3 that they are already clean. Which is remarkable when considering that generally in the Old Testament, when Israel is referred to as the vine, it, it historically refers to their inability to produce good fruit. And Jesus is claiming to have already produced good fruit before the cross. And then in verse 5, he states that he is the true vine. 
and his disciples are the branches and must remain in him. For apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. I think when we just look at those first couple of verses and understand them a little bit more, it makes it clear he's not claiming an identity with any vine. Rather, he is the true vine. The messianic fulfillment of the Old Testament imagery. Instead of God's chosen people being a nation, it's clear Jesus is claiming to instead know I'm the true vine. Those who are incorporated in him are part of God's chosen people. It's not about cultural boundaries or nationality or anything like that anymore. About following me. And in the time this letter was written, uh, I think this story, you know, when you look at the application, uh, it would have been tough for Jews to hear. For if they wish to enjoy the status of being part of God's chosen vine, they must be rightly related to Jesus. You know, it's, it's not about them being separated anymore. It was including them with the Gentiles. Because it's just, what are you defined by? By following Jesus. That's what it is. Following his commandment, loving one another like he commands. That's it. And I think for Gentiles, this would have been re- refreshing to be able to be God's chosen people by following Christ. Not having to, you know, move countries or, you know, you know, if you're a bloke, having to get circumcised and all that. It wasn't about that anymore. It was about something bigger, something deeper. I think when we look at the application in our story, in our you know context today, the imagery of the vine points to a mutual indwelling of believers in Jesus. And I think this would connect with our culture still. When we share this story, I think it's why people resonate with this story. Uh, when they're new to the whole Jesus thing. I think it's why, even as we're Jesus followers for a while, this passage, you know, and I know for me it's one of my favorite passages, but it it just really has so much beauty in it, and we're able to connect with it so well. Because this text makes it clear we're God's chosen people when we truly follow Christ and obey his commandment to love others. That was it. That was his one Commandment to love others. And I think knowing that, it makes me wish uh, sometimes that as followers of Christ, we were known for our love for others rather than all the things we stand against. Because I think, you know, sometimes we're as Christians, you know, we'll get called judgmental or this or that. You don't have people in the world saying, you know what, those Christians, I might not agree with them, but man, they love people. Like if you need help, they're there. If you need support, they're there. No, they don't do that. We're known for all the things we stand against, all the things we're against. And I wish we were known by our way, the way that we loved others, the way that we supported others because jesus gave us one commandment to love others that was it 
And my desire and the reason I continue to do the whole Jesus thing to this day and I, I work in a church as a pastor is because I want to love big like Christ. Because that's what's really important. That's what I need to fight for. That's what I need to ensure that I'm doing, that I'm loving big like Christ. And that's a big call. It's a big thing to aim to do. And it's nice to know that in the times that I often get it wrong, God's grace is there if I'm willing to humble myself. So I hope as followers of Christ, we can try to love big like he did. And have his love pour out through us. Have a world that knows us not by the things we're against, but by how much we love others. Because that's what Jesus wants. Because our commandment wasn't to make sure everyone knew what we stood against. Our commandment was to love others. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And may God's grace and peace be with you.